Welcome to Disruption Land. Welcome to Disruption Land. Welcome to Disruption Land. The unconventional take on all things. Innovation, tech and transformation. Join us as we explore the ideas and impact that might just change, change the, the world. world. Hello and welcome to a new season of Disruption Land. I'm your host and Chief Disruption Officer here at Epicenter, Hannes sapiens Schäblod. This podcast is powered by Epicenter, the leading innovation community across the Nordics. And here we work to explore where things are going. Because disruption land is not a physical place, but a space where we let visions and ideas roam free. And we want to explore them one step further. And our way of doing this is together with the doers, movers and shakers of the Epicenter ecosystem. Because... As the great philosopher Tony Robbins once said, if you talk about it, it's a dream. If you envision it, it's possible. But when you do it, it's real. That's how we roll here at Epicenter. Today, we have an awesome guest and an old hand of the Epicenter community with us. She's an economist, an AI ethicist, a founder and entrepreneur, and not least, a voice of reason and clarity in a tumultuous time. Anna Fellender, we're very happy to have you here. Thank you, and thank you for that introduction. It's well-deserved, Anna. Anna, you are the founder of Ank.ai. Would you mind sharing the story with us? <laughs> so so I, I, when, you, when you talk about Epicenter and being the future and <clears throat> quoting Tony Robbins, like I, I got to think about th- that I've always been in the future. Because I started working as a macroeconomist at the Ministry of Finance with macroeconomic forecasting. And then during the financial crisis, I was at the Prime Minister's office doing risk scenarios and forecasting. And then when when I became the chief economist at Swedbank, we were at the trading floor and everyone was looking at the cyclical movements, but no one was actually looking at the movements underneath the structural movement. Did you talk about AI back then? I mean, it was trading algorithms, right, already back then, or was that a big topic of conversation? No, we weren't there yet, because at that time, I saw the positive effects of digitalization. Uh, So I saw, okay, I was really close to the the startup scene at that moment, and I did uh, academic research, and I was also an advisor to, to the government on digitalization issues. But... I early found out that there's no actually um, measures to, to measure the hidden values of digitalization due to new business models in the startup scene. So I did new productivity measures. This is fascinating if we stop for a minute because the classic GDP measures, they don't show us the benefits of things getting massively cheaper or you know even because if it costs nothing to translate in Google Translate, does that add any value to the economy? Right, so the zero marginal cost of the economy. But the point was, as the role of the chief economist, I was doing this with the aim to, to guide fiscal and monetary policy in the right direction. If we don't have the right measures, how can we then steer the economy? Uh, but then the, the defining moment for, for where I am here, why mm-hmm. we're talking, mm-hmm. is that 2016, I saw that these hidden values of digitalization, like transparency, validation on platforms, and slash middle hands, um, they were shifting towards negative externalities. So before the shift, 2016, we had a willingness to to pay a consumer surplus. So we would actually pay for something that we got for free. For example, uh, the bank apps and bank ID and 
Uh, so what happened then was that I realized that we are actually organizations are um, using AI uh, without the ethical filter, which means and the asymmetric information and me as a consumer and citizen opting into something where I don't see how that actually is is creating a negative externality, digital pollution, such as discrimination, privacy intrusion, lost autonomy. Actually, there's a human right to make conscious decision, uh, harm to safety, um, dismiss information. And now, I mean, this is getting, we have a, AI is a general purpose technology mm. now with mm. ChatGPT. Anyway, at that time, mm. 2016, mm. I left Swedbank to, and I, I had, I got an affiliated researcher position at the KT, at the Royal Institute of Technology. So there I, I, I realized that there's no way that organizations nor regulatory bodies are going to be able to catch up with the race. So I said, let's do a multidisciplinary research um, project here uh, with the tech compliance and business ethical lens and perspective. And we created an ethical AI risk assessment methodology. Fantastic. And this was uh, before you made it commercial. So this was still a research initiative at the time. Right, so we got funding from the state. So we tested and vetted this uh, assessment methodology in a sandbox environment. With We did more than 200 use cases on this methodology. And then we got uh, VC funding, um, Silicon Valley based, that thought this was wanting to be ahead of the EU regulatory mm -hmm. curve. And then we digitalized it. So now we are an AI governed um, platform for end-to-end -end AI um, governance. So we screen, assess, mitigate, audit, and report AI applications for the... Um, for all kinds of players. So, so this is Ank.ai, yes. uh, which is the company you founded and you're managing it. And So this is what you, you help corporates and also public sector with today? Right. And with that in mind, 85%, did you know? I guess you know because you're in the future. <laughs> well, Not sure. Know there is. So 85% of all AI projects are actually delivering misguided results due to three things. So we have data bias, mm -hmm. uh, bias in algorithm bias, and bias in the teams responsible for managing this. So could we double click on, we start with the last one. So mm -hmm. when you say the team managing or sort of evaluating the output of, of machine learning systems, how is that skewed today and how do we need to think about that uh, in your view? So we say that we orchestrate three silos, organizational silos. So we have the tech silo, the compliance legal, and then the business silo. Mm -hmm. So say that we have a tech team wanting to do a fairness model on their AI application and say that this is um, a fairness tool where you do the trade-off between accuracy and fairness. So, uh, and this is a critical decision, right? It's Indeed. a business critical decision. Right now, uh, there is no alignment or translation to uh, discriminatory law, nor is there a contextualized um, alignment. That is where the solution is actually used, the context, because then it's different trade-offs. So, based on that, that these decisions are uh, made in the tech silo. So anything of, of reports like um, 
key risk indicators reports to the board. Mm-hmm. There's no way or the upcoming AI EU AI Yeah, we'll Act. come back to the AI Act in uh, a while. Yeah. So there's no way that you can have an, a tech team reporting so that a business team or a compliance team can use that output to report to non-tech decision makers. Uh-huh. Because it's just not transparent or not even comprehensible or not even shared. Right. So there's th- you, you have to be a, a, a PhD. <laughs> you have to be working in these contexts. And also, um, it's been a, like it, it's the technology has been, you know, it's been a rush. So it's often so that the CEO in an organization doesn't know what is AI powered mm. and the risk exposure that could lead to because the risk it's costly and these are ungoverned. Tell me a little bit more about the risks right. specifically uh, when you say, okay, so if someone is managing a huge operation and you're introducing a range of strong semi-autonomous machine learning systems that will solve massive tasks or provide new insights. What are the risks that you know, could hit you from behind? Let's start, I will come to the risk, but let's start with the, the root causes mm-hmm. and then let's look at what is being neglected when it comes to standards. So th- we, in the research week, it, we categorized four uh, unintended uh, root causes. That is bias of the creator. So you have team of coders who doesn't know how a solution is scaled. Uh, and it's very hard if you have a CEO of a bank or insurance company saying, "We we are our ethical principles are diversity, what have you." Uh, how do you actually translate that into it's code? Easier said than done, yeah. Yeah, mm. and also to to know actually how how it is scaled in a bigger context. So there's, for example, when when there's a the the Dutch government, they decided that a parents that would have parental insurance benefits had to pay it back uh, but it was then faultly claiming them so there's a lot of um, mistakes that is actually happening as we speak so mm. so that's the the bias of the creed and the, then it's the, the the data bias when you have for example credit scoring and then you say yes to a man no to a woman that has the exactly same economic uh, stance because some historical patterns and then you have a misuse or overuse of AI that could be you have like a droner that would detect um, uh, like insect attacks on trees but actually it's in the use in the hand of some burglar who wants to see idle summer houses right, right. and then um, then you would have immature uh, data or AI when you don't have the data is not sufficient or the AI hasn't been trained. So mm. there's actually no go-to-market readiness threshold. So there's just a wild west. <laughs> anyway, so you have these re- re- um, root causes. And then you have the lack of transparency and explainability mm. so mm. that non-tech decision makers can understand it. Mm. You have no one accountable in an organization and the governance structure is lacking the cross-organizational orchestration. Now, this is leading to the risks that we had identified. So the uh, discriminatory risks, we've seen this happening in uh, in ChatGPT, for example, where you are using historical data to uh, prolong and accentuate past norms, Mm -hmm. for example. And then um, privacy intrusion, so, so, so that 
uh, AI can can uh, you opt in that this is what I talked in the beginning that you opt into something that you you have no idea how an AI can create insights for combining the data that mm. you mm. Get, gave your consent to. So it's actually violating the, your privacy because you think that it's so the, the the convenience in opting in, mm -hmm. the time you gain, and the frictionless everyday life you have is so seductive. So once you get a nudge mm. for something that wasn't meant to be exposed to you or to your family or friends, it's 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 super good and convenient until it's not. Mm. And that mm. that that point of time needs to be governed and it needs to be understood, understood. of course. And then we need to have some mitigations. Okay, you had a final example, yeah? So, yeah, so there's uh, discrimination, there's privacy intrusion, and there's social exclusion. For example, if you have in retail, you would just, you know, if you don't see um, the purchasing power from <clears throat> some certain zip codes, you'll just exclude them without even thinking about it. You know, the, the mm -hmm. algorithms just decides that... The, the, the combined purchasing power in this municipality is not accepted. So you get these mm -hmm. augmented uh, pr uh, social exclusion. And then you have the lost autonomy. So in the beginning or in the in the future, we will have cashierless stores and you will come in and, and the ability to have this frictionless journey will also have the consent that we don't even we given consent for this frictionless journey, but we don't know is it credit or debit? Like what is being withdraw or mm, not? Mm, mm. It's just an example where what we actually lose our autonomy to choose. Yes. Oh, what are we paying with besides our money? Because yes, we may be paying with data. We may be paying with our integrity. We and may be paying with something we're not even aware of. Mm. Right. And then two two other uh, categorized risks in the research that is uh, harm to safety. So we know that more than 90% of all health data used in AI health apps are on male bodies, which is actually causing harm to half of the population. And then ha we have a dis and misinformation. And this is what ChatGPT is um, it's actually exaggerating. Um, when, when you have, it's also, it's, uh, most of the time it's API solutions. You, you, you can't really see the small subtile um miss or disinformation so when this is being now a general purpose technology in our pockets uh, we see that the risk exposure is is also exploding as the value i do want to underline that anki i stands for releasing the true power of ai mm. uh, we are an ethical filter and insurance for accelerating ai mm. this is a mm. fantastic mm. technology we should steer the technology, not the other way around. So it's just that we need to catch up on the societal and ethical implications. Indeed, we need to understand them and catch them. And so the AI Act is one initiative in that context, right? So again, legislators trying to catch up. Already criticism, of course, is being leveled that this is, you know, it's too late, too little, uh, off target, etc. I do want to just nuance uh, the very valid risks you brought up, Anna, which is that these are not ultimately not just AI. I mean, bias in decision-making, uh, lack of transparency, that's, <laughs> that's always been a feature of human decision-making. So 
<laughs> then again, it's not like we're making things worse in that context. Yes, I we are because it's scaling. It's scaling beyond our control, and mm-hmm. we can control human bias in an organization. Well, yes and, and no, right? So <laughs> we oh. we do our best, and mm-hmm. we can exactly we can box people in with policies, etc. But uh, to to understand what's in people's heads, uh, we, we we may not always get all the way in there. I think in that sense, AI is better for us because we can make the algorithms, we can make the the weighting of decisions transparent, the coefficients of how we value yes. different factors. And actually, what exactly to that point, mm. what AI in organizations are leading mm. to is that the CEO and board needs or must make a stand. You must make a stand. Okay, so this like the Starbucks example, how many calories can you nudge to a young cohort? Like th- w- there's no you have to walk your talk even more now because it's like you maybe you should introduce chance to the algorithm because you have to mm. be like mm. if you are 15, mm. the limited amount that you can be nudged in your phone to buy sugar drinks is this mm-hmm. so it's really it's it's actually the universe i think trying to challenge us yeah. from getting too inhuman mm-hmm. and actually um contradictory the more ai we use the more we need to use our human values and that's a good thing it's a renaissance of the female energy as well Haha, let's come back to that as well so principally i really think you're right i think ultimately machine learning systems they are process oriented not outcome oriented in many instances we give them a certain instructions and then they just give us the output right they don't right. have a judgment they don't have the the moral dimension to it which is you know yes now this is the spring of 2023 i still think humans are the only beings we know of that have morals animals don't have morals machines don't have morals we do our best to have morals. We are fallible, of course, <laughs> as moral beings, but at least we try, right? And we have institutions that help us along. We have laws and schools and, and, and whatnot to take us there. So in that broader setting, uh, you know, algorithm-driven decision-making is an improvement in terms of rationality, in terms of consistency, compared to the old way of making decisions. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just about that we steer AI and not the other way around. We can mm-hmm. control it. We can set limits. So it, to quote some Microsoft CEO, like it's not what AI can do. It's what it's not what can AI do. It It is what should AI do. So it's just an understanding. And this is also we are on an educational journey. Yes. So. So the tech team with the AI act coming up, the tech team will be demystified for the first time. Mm. So so the GDPR is actually not um, the EU law. GDPR is actually not demystifying the tech team as it doesn't get to the root causes. Um, so that's why the AI act is um, it's not the first best, but it's the second best. So Margrethe Verstage, the EU commissioner who presented this uh, pro- um, regulatory proposal, she was very value driven. She said, we're going to compete with AI innovations that are not discriminating our European uh, values. Indeed. That's you very much what this know. is about. Yes. And that we must support, right? We don't want the American model where everybody's data can be traded. 
No, but actually, the, we see that America actually want to be in line with the EU uh, regulatory curve, and they have the the risk of being sued. So, I mean, once you dismantle that works on Americans, <laughs> right? Right. So once you so so no other regulation. So it's not that GDPR was the first to address to to be aware of discrimination or right for explainability or or, or misuse of privacy. I mean, we have laws already that is protecting our human values and our uh, institutional rights. rights. Yeah. So it's just that they couldn't dismantle the tech silo, meaning that the compliance team or or the the requirements from um, compliance team, legal team and product or service validation couldn't actually get to the root cause. As we see the AI coming up, it's um, it's a risk management uh, system that we offer at ANC that can actually do um, risk um, uh, risk assessment that is actually going to be the human harm, the cause, uh, the human harm as um, a, as a central stance in the regulation. So based on the harm, um, you get a high risk, uh, medium and low and limited risk. So there, there are actually sanctions up to 6%. Uh, okay, okay, so it's about assessing the potential harm and then at least preventing the worst outcomes. Huh? Right. And we see that the, the, the high risk area is actually all public uh, sector, financial institutions, transportation, education. So it's, it's a vast, um, vast area of our economy that has to do these massive reportings that, that requires this cross organizational orchestration to to get the reporting you need to report to a national uh, database and then to the EU database. Good summary. Uh, there are several terms you've <laughs> you've thrown up here uh, quickly uh, across the table, Anna, and uh, I wanted to just catch a couple of them. Can you just define for us ethical AI, which is a term that, that we keep circling around? Mm. So ethical AI, the term that most people, organization use is responsible AI and actually yeah. have R-A-I. Exactly. And, and this is a way that the organization or e- academy policymakers and startups um, are realizing that without uh, ethical lens, there is a risk exposure that can actually get you off the market and mm-hmm. be costly in financial terms. But it's also about doing the right things. But we see in the ESG ju- movement that actually there is a good do good and make money that is showing off that this is the right way to do it. And in, in AI, it's even more because mm-hmm. the trust, if you have a transparency on your ethical AI principles, how you use your clients' data, and how you, in your tech silo, assure that it's according to human rights, that will actually increase more trust Mm. and then attract more clients. So the best trustworthy AI application with a responsible AI stamp will have the, the more users, and in this economy, this is where you win. I agree. It's it's really about the trust uh, and uh, understanding how trust is achieved, which is a 
key competition factor. Yeah, we talk about glass organizations, right? Yeah. That's the opposite to the uh, black box. So you can't, you can't say we didn't know. Like, do you remember, like, some retail or clothing companies would say that, oh, we didn't know that we have child labor in Pakistan. But those days are over. You have mm. to know mm. everything within mm. your vendor supplier ecosystem. Yes, within your value chain. And yes, we're getting there with greater data collection. There's a few other things I want to shoot to you, but if we, we can leave this sort of abstract domain for a few minutes and get into the, the practical dimensions, how do you see that ethical AI should be applied in specific industries? If we take the finance industry, for example, what would you like to see? So first of all, you have to have a CEO commitment that we live up to our values and principles and we want to do the reporting for the upcoming EU Act, not as an, like a wet blanket of administrative burden, because that's what will happen if you don't have this cross-organizational uh, governance. And then there's a lot of um, education to mm. raise awareness and to understand that there is no um, Excel sheet nor a tech silo um, governance tool that can solve this. So this compliance, business and tech needs to work together to accelerate that. And to have that going um, forward, you need a, a process um, and the platform that is data driven, that connects the people with the data and the processes so you get a validation of trustworthy and responsible AI. Right, so that's how it's applied. And what is the outcome that you wish that this will generate? So the outcome for the, the minimum you need is that you need to be um, complying to regulation. And then whether you want to work with this as just a really thin layer, uh, I'm, I'm talking about our platform, you can use this as a thin layer, layer of validation and insurance that you live up to these requirements, or you can actually use it to have a competitive edge in your offering and use it as a, a, a market component. So going back, there are when there was GDPR or going even further back, mm -hmm. like uh, because I, I, I used to um, refer what's going on right now, what cybersecurity was like 20, 25 years ago mm. when we saw this as a risk, but no one knew who's accountable and how do you measure the key risk indicators. Um, but now we have a cybersecurity officer in every organization. Mm, and mm. The VCs have one bucket of money just investing in cybersecurity. And then G GDPR came. And then you needed a data protection officer. And what we see now is GDP as in resources needed. It's so it's such a big challenge and also good cause. So we have to rethink it all. And most like IKEA, H&M, Salesforce was really mm. early on applying or assigning a chief ethical compliance officer. Mm. So with that role, because it's, this role has been falling between the Mm. the silos but so it's a really it's a really good thing to assign someone responsible i think that's brilliant uh, uh, you know making someone responsible for compliance means simply they take the external rules that are handed to them but making someone also considering ethics dimensions then that's everything else right it's not just what is written in in the law but the real impact of of, of the decisions made uh, way out of 
just a legal context. So I think that's an excellent step to take. And you say that this is ultimately how we also want AI matters to be managed. Of course, mm. of course. It's just an adjustment. I'm ju- I'm not saying that uh, the the platform our offering should be. We should be as seamless as we can be. Or we should be like a hammer saying, trust is key for us. You are important. Mm. Your values are important for us. So it's either way, but you got to have a perspective that capture and mitigates these risks. So I, I want to ask a question. When you speak of this uh, as a working tool or a thin layer between a person and, and you know their tasks and their organization. So uh, if we look at work life, uh, Do you think in the near future we'll be managing AIs kind of like we're managing people? Like, okay, so I have two colleagues on my team and then I have these five algorithms that I am responsible for. And where, you know, they do most of the work, but ultimately when it comes to decisions or to judgment, okay, is this right or wrong? Then that is, so that's like a new form of management Uh, that yeah. that that is implied in these roles. Do you do you want to explore this idea with me a little yes, bit? Yes, I'm more than happy because now we have labor market policy on on the agenda mm. here, and that's really important. Because when I was doing early on, I was doing research on the impact of digitalization on the labor market, and we see th- we saw this mid skilled squeeze when you had really um, the the need for more high skilled people uh, training. Um, and just steering and educating people on AI. And as you said, working together with AI requires more higher education. And the other, the mid-skilled, they would be squeezed if they didn't have the education to the low-skilled service sector. And I mean, this is, it's, it's challenging our welfare state because we have higher entry barriers and, and security so so but th- that's po- that's labor market policy but the m- the important thing is that when you talk about like a dark black factories that yeah. in the north there will be no human in the I- in the industry in the factories that's the good old joke sorry to interrupt but in the factory of the future there works one man and a dog uh, the man is there to feed the dog the dog is there to make sure the man doesn't touch anything <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But actually, I don't foresee that future. Interesting. Uh, I foresee a future where we have humans uh, managing, educating and steering uh, these AI uh, mm. or robots or AI services. Mm. Um, and what will be the human contribution? Oh, that's so that that's so important because then you would have... Um, you would have set the agenda mm. on the rules and you would constantly have the ability to, you, the AI is calling it the AI, uh, human in the loop, where yep. you would have constantly be able to understand and detect the disruption or the faulty decisions and the transparency so you can act with it. So it's it's going to be like electricity, but it's not switching on and off electricity. Mm-hmm. It's actually working with something that is intelligent and complementing human skills. So mm-hmm. if you look at a CEO, for example, uh, in the boardroom, uh, the, the CFO will need the um, qualities as intuition, experience and making these really 
brave decision based on all the um, inputs decision given. inputs <laughs> giving from the algorithm, and that puts um, that puts uh, the human values at the core, um, and also the CFO will be either just managing the AI, <laughs> or would be have a super high requirements on empathy, intuition, creativity, and braveness and boldness and know when or not to be brave or bold. I think that's exactly the answer I was hoping to hear, Anna. That is, that's th because that is the human contribution on top of the machine systems. It's the judgment, it's the ethics, it's setting the agenda, as you say, yeah. and, but it's, it's about looking uh, at, at the context of things, mm. which the machines just don't do for us. Right, and that is where the human, and this concept I like of managing AIs, right? With, if we think of them as just team members. Yeah, yeah. but I want to then go back to w w the, the beginning of our conversation mm -hmm. because then you said, well, humans make biased decisions all the time. Yeah. But the thing is, when the human kind has zero tolerance or have extremely much less tolerance when machines do wrong than when humans do wrong. And if we see self-driving cars, for example. Yeah, we expect them to be flawless, but right. with kids, it's okay, right? If, right you know, right. they're allowed to make mistakes. But you know, it's so, my work every day, it's so exciting because now we're working with the European um, functionality, the right for functionality for challenged people. Mm. And if you would have a, a, a driving car, for example, and you would have a man or woman in a wheelchair, you wouldn't, and that would, they would drive backwards. Like they would steer mm -hmm. their their chair backwards. I mean, there's no way that uh, self-driving cars would have trained their AI on that possibility. Interesting. So you have to have every lens, the children's lens, mm. the dis, uh, disability. disability lens, uh, the non um, the four non-English speaking, so it, it's just it's it's getting it's never like I I could see in my work that all the perspectives there's so many to be added. For mm. example, mm. we work with a professor in pediatrical care when every uh, during COVID every physical um, meeting would be handled in in a digital um, environment. But if you just if you just put it out there without the lens of children and caretakers, you would miss a dimension that is leading the AI to do faulty, um, faulty recommendations and actually harming. So it, it's it's the innovation in crisis is fantastic. We can say that, or many say that, digitalization was just fast tracked during COVID. Yes, and, and it was sometimes too much fast track because you, you lose the perspective of those that are underrepresented. Um, exactly, and that, that's to some extent what we're trying to catch up with in, in many mm. respects now. So, uh, Anna, time is, time is running from us. I, there are a few short things I want to catch with you uh, before I, we need to let you go. I want to hear a bit more about this governance sandbox that you guys are oh building. Oh yes, oh there's such a, because all organizations, so we have the AI Act around the corner, and every which means that every organization needs to scan their organization 
do you do we have AI? And AI in the A Act is actually defined as hard coded. Uh, so yes, very broadly. Like, mm. Very broadly. And so you have to scan your entire organization for these. And then you have to see, do we have high risk or sanctioned? Because if you have or sanctions, you have to withdraw them. And if you don't want to pay the price, and if you have high risk, risk you need uh, to, to, to take or, or act on new governance tool to catch this and be able to report it. So and what's, what are you going to do in the sandbox then right, specifically? Right. Yeah. So we thought, okay, this we need to help organization. We've, we are thought leading leaders in the Nordic. So let's do what we do best. Um, we get um, organizations together mm. with academia, with best in class, with regulators, and we share knowledge. We do thought leading or educational seminars and what's unique about ANC AI and the sandbox is we have a tool for testing your AI applications maturity to the AI Act which means that you can come and we have different um, activities but we also do uh, tailored workshops with organizations that have in design phase or already out in the market an AI application how does this comply to the upcoming AI so Companies or uh, researchers can join your initiative and participate yeah. in the sandbox. Yes. That's fantastic. Yes. What's the website? Uh, so it's www.ancai. That's A-N-C-H dot A-I. And then you go into the sandbox. Simple and as that. And the membership is free and we have newsletters and you'll be on, on top of it. <laughs> That's a brilliant tool. Thank you for sharing it. Thank you for making that possible, right? Um, and I want to round off with sort of a forward-looking question. There's so much happening in the tech space, right? There's new applications being launched. Or we, every day we see in the news, there's something, you know, pretty big things taking place. What makes you most excited right now about these, uh, all these activities? Yeah, it's my, um, it's my children, actually. Um, so I, I have three children and one of them is just engaged in soccer. So there's actually no not so much gaming. I have um, a daughter who would go to a camp last summer and said with no phones and she said actually I'm much happier without my phone so the realization of being you know not with her phone um, at all during the summer and then my son who is a gamer so we we would um, me and his dad would talk to him and we would say there is an algorithm (laughs) within your computer that wants you to play exactly wants to keep you addicted to to this drug right and we managed to explain to him so he went on a schedule and he was really committed because he wouldn't let the the robot inside the computer win so Mm. i'm proud and i'm so like learning from kids their behavior and also when we talk about the metaverse and how our children is going to be spending their time there i don't think so i think the the real world is actually um getting um to be a much lighter and more authentic place for our children Mm -hmm. than we could guess so i'm super excited about the future i appreciate that anna i appreciate the celebration by your son and by what you're saying of our humanness because yes that still stands with all our flaws in these tumultuous times. Thank you very much for being with us here in Disruption Land. It was wonderful to chat with you. Thank you, my pleasure. Thanks for joining us here in Disruption Land. To visit again, just subscribe to Disruption Land Podcast. This podcast is produced
produced by Epicenter, the house of digital innovation. Discover all about our vibrant tech and business community and inspiring workspaces at weareepicenter.com. <laughs>